Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Heartland After Dark podcast. My name is Joe Tillery. I am joined by my co-host, Derek Duke. We talk about the Big 12 Conference here each and every week, different things that go on, as well as drink some incredible drinks. And that's pretty much all we got. We got some great things on the schedule to talk about, but I tell you what, nothing better than doing it while holding a cold drink. Derek, let me start you off here. What are you drinking for today's episode? Man, I'm drinking on a bush light. I've been drinking bourbon uh, over the last few podcast episodes, but tonight I am I'm doing the bush light. I had a what my wife had a family reunion this afternoon, as I think I told you earlier. So I decided to sit outside and kind of just drink beer. <laughs> didn't really nice. didn't really do much talking, so just kind of drank some beer. So I decided to stick with some beer tonight. Keep it. Simple. Well, I tell you, I tell you what, I am matching you with the bush latte tonight. So got the bush light ready, and it is cold, and that works out well. It's been in the fridge a bit, so it's just chilling, but I had one ready to go. I was like, you know what? We're going to rock it tonight. That's kind of what I'm drinking as well. So good choice is what I'd say on that front. Good choice hey. with the bush light for sure. Hey, sometimes you got to keep it simple, folks. <laughs> That's right. It's a, it's a lot easier to mess up the mess up things the more intricate you get with things. Sticking simple with the bush light always works for me. All right, take three. We are back on this front, but I'll tell you what. We are still talking about OU and Cincinnati. For those of you on the podcast, you haven't heard it, but we've had a couple of tech, technical issues here on the back end, but we are back to talk about the game. Derek, what do you think about Oklahoma and Cincinnati? Well, I think the higher powers, they don't want me talking about this game for some reason. <laughs> maybe, maybe Brett Yormark, since he was there, he didn't want anybody to talk about this game anymore. But <laughs> no, uh, serious, in all seriousness, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that our own Matthew Postens was there, was there at uh, Cincinnati at Nippert Stadium covering the game for us. And from everything that he said, it was, a, it was an outstanding uh, effort by the fans there. The tailgating scene was incredible. Inside Nippert was uh, awesome. The atmosphere seemed electric. And even on TV, you could hear that crowd really roar through. Um, even though it was just 40,000 people there. But Brett Yormach was there. Big Noon Kickoff was there. Every It was just a really big day for Cincinnati. Unfortunately, uh, just the team, the offense in particular, didn't show up. But uh, got to give credit to Oklahoma, specifically their defense. I mean, they, they didn't allow Cincinnati to score a single touchdown on the day. Uh, Brett Venables has going to have – said he's going to have his hand on this defense prior to the season starting. And right now they're looking good, only giving up 93 points per game through four games, which is mighty impressive in today's world of college football. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, I think, missed some throws here and there. Overall, I think the offense just didn't execute properly because I think Oklahoma probably could have scored more than 20 in this game. Uh, but, you know, when you play like that defensively, you may not need to even score 20 points to win. As far as Cincinnati goes, on on their defense, I think they played okay. I don't think they played a bad uh had a bad performance on defense for me though this the thing that i my key takeaway for them is going to be emory jones just was 22 for 41 two interceptions that's just not going to cut it when you're when you're playing a team like oklahoma especially a defense as good as theirs right now you know and the before the season i had questions about him as a passer i know we knew he's athletic as all get out he's going to run the football as good as any quarterback in the college football can but as a passer, I just don't know if he's a power five quarterback. And I think more and more people are starting to realize that. But, you know, for not for Cincinnati to not score a single touchdown in this game, that's just it's not going to cut it. And for Emory Jones, he's got to play better. That's just there's no really other excuses for this football team anymore. And the passing game, everybody knows that Cincinnati is going to struggle to throw the football and they're going to force him to throw the football. And until they can, it's going to be a rough go for Cincinnati's offense. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I watched the first part of this game and I wa I mean, I guess I watched the whole game, but it felt almost like deceptively better than I anticipated for Cincinnati in this game. I mean, I, I know that the game wasn't a game that Cincinnati fans went into thinking, okay, we're the better team. We have this advantage. There's not really 
that vibe around the situation. But I mean, I was excited to watch the game and see how the fans reacted, see how the environment went. And from what I could tell, those were both awesome environments. I mean, Nippert was completely rocking. You said it. Uh, but Oklahoma, I mean, yeah, 20 points. I mean, your defense played great, and I can't really pick apart anything on that side. You know, they they made Emory Jones. And I know that he's caught in a lot of flack this offseason a little bit, just not being a refined passer, I would say. The thing with him, like, the team was still 3-0. and They had some great outings, and they were even receiving votes to an extent for for being a top 25 team. While it didn't work out in that sense, it's still a good victory for Brent Venables, and I think it helped answer some questions about their team. Dylan Gabriel, you know, he didn't play his best. He also didn't play his worst. I mean, he had 300 passing yards in the first three quarters. It felt like might have even gotten that past, you know, earlier, closer to half. But I don't know. I mean, they just sent, you know, they just felt a little bit out of touch in that game. They're not playing their best football. I think the only team that you can make an argument for in the conference right now is Texas in terms of playing their absolute best football. That might not even be an underestimation at this point, but I don't know. It didn't tell me enough that I was like, this is the game I'm going to have major takeaways from, and I'm going to learn a ton about both teams. It just was one I kind of rolled over to the next week. I mean, Oklahoma did what was expected, and that's kind of where I'm at on that. But touching on the team I just mentioned, Baylor and Texas, a game that, yes, Texas was favored to win by heavily in this game. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it was roughly two scores at the 13 points or so, Yeah, I believe. If I'm, right. Something along those lines. And Texas did that. I mean, they handled their business. They took care of business. Derek, what would you take away from this game? Total domination from Texas from literally start to finish of this game. And, you know, much like the crowd up at Nippert Stadium at Cincinnati, in Cincinnati, you know, McLean Stadium in Waco was rocking. They had a blackout. It was a sold-out crowd. A lot of hype going into this game. A lot of Baylor fans were excited because, I mean, first off, you don't know when these two teams are going to meet up again, I saw a stat on the uh, broadcast that these two teams have played the third most times uh, against each other here, Texas. I think Baylor, it's like 113th meeting or something like that between these two schools. So long, long history, but unfortunately, I don't know if we're going to get to see it again, but man, what a disappointing last. If this was the last game, this was certainly a disappointing one (laughs) Uh, for Texas. I mean, as good as that Alabama win was, you know, and it might, might look better throughout the year as Alabama kind of progresses. Um, This was maybe their most dominant performance to date because from start to finish, it was a clear advantage that Texas had on the offensive and the defensive line. It wasn't even close. Offensively, Quinn Ewers, I thought he managed the the game pretty well. Didn't have to do a ton with his arm. Uh, What's really nice to see for me to see from this offense is the run game. And as the weeks go on, we're starting to see this run game kind of fire up a little bit. Jonathan Brooks, great running back, went for over 100 yards and two scores. But the star of the show here was the defense. Baylor ran 35 plays inside Texas territory, scored six points. They controlled the line of scrimmage throughout the game, went over the five-sack mark. I think they had like 10 tackles for loss in this game. The defensive line for Texas, and when you're going to have offensive line troubles like Baylor clearly does, I mean, there's literally no chance up front because Baylor could not do anything right. Even when Texas Texas had two muffed punts, I believe inside their top uh, their top uh, excuse me their 25 yard line, Baylor got the ball in great field position both times. They could not put it in the end zone once. So, hats off to the Texas defense. I mean, uh, Steve Sarkeesian said that this is a three year work in progress on the defense, and right now it is looking fantastic. They look like you know one could maybe make an argument that they have the best defense in the country right now in all of college football because they are that good up front. So. For, for Texas, it was just a big win. They took care of business on the road, which is never easy to do. As far as Baylor goes, 
I wrote this in my in my column on Sunday. I don't even know where to start with this team. This team, it's like they find new ways to lose, but at the same, and then now they didn't even find a way to lose. They just got dominated. So it was it, it was never close. Sawyer Robinson got the start uh, since Blake Shapin's out. He didn't look very good. His offensive line was bad. The receivers were dropping passes. I mean, they got no push up front against Texas and. On the flip side, Baylor's defense pretty much let Texas offense do what they wanted to do. Um, there was there was no stopping Texas. I mean, it was it was almost effortless from the Texas offense when you could watch them go against Baylor defense. I mean, anytime Baylor got in a second and long or a third and long, they looked completely lost. When Texas got in those situations, they looked comfortable. So it was just kind of a, a tale of two teams going in opposite directions right now. And I'll say this for Baylor, as long as Blake Shapin's out and if they're going to plug in Sawyer Robinson as their starting quarterback, I think they may want to give a look to R.J. Martinez because, to me, he moved the offense a little bit better. He looked more comfortable. Maybe it's he's got nothing to lose as a third-string quarterback, but as long as Blake Shapin's out, I really think Martinez maybe should be an option for them when it comes to playing time. And so, for me, this just a really unfortunate game for Baylor, uh, especially on primetime on ABC. So, it it just – Disappointing. I guess that's all you can really say for Baylor. And, and the other thing is, Joe, I don't know if you know this, but dating back to last season, Baylor has now lost seven out of their last eight games. Jeez. That is a wild stat. That's crazy to hear. I mean, you think about it, and I know that there's going to be conversations because it's just how college football goes, where people are going to ask if Dave Aranda's on the hot seat. I'll tell you this, the seat isn't cold. I mean, I don't mean to say that the guy's going to be fired tomorrow or anything crazy like that, but that was a tough that was a tough watch, a tough performance. I mean, that's one of those where you could consider shutting the game off at half. I mean, I, I watched a bit of it, and it didn't get to the point where I was like, you know what, this doesn't give me much confidence in the staff going forward. And I know you're without your starting, player, your starting quarterback and a couple of guys on the defense as well just weren't living up to the task, but man, what a tough, tough ask for Baylor week one. I know that, that situation, Texas, you know, you're the third ranked team in the country. They did what was expected. But if anything, going into this game, I mean, Texas had something to lose. You know, they had kind of the the position to lose a little bit more, significantly more than Baylor did in that sense. But I didn't get any positive takeaways from Baylor. I mean, it wasn't a complete blowout, I guess. They scored. I mean, they had some points on the board at the end of it. But it wasn't a game where you walk away feeling good at all. I mean, if you're wearing green, you feel like you just got you wasted money at that point. That's kind of what you did out there. Texas, I mean, that defense is legit. I know that there's going to be questions about Quinn Ewers and there's going to be questions about the team overall on offense, not necessarily in this game, but just overall as the season goes. That defense is going to keep them in every single game, even if they get behind, which realistically shouldn't happen maybe in more than one or two games this season. I don't know what to take away outside of that. I mean, Texas did what they meant to do. They set out, they conquered, they won the game. That was a good look for Texas. Baylor, Something's got to change. We'll see what happens. You know, you mentioned maybe a quarterback change. It's just got to have something different. I mean, something has to get fans excited to watch the game. I know fans were pumped to be there. Don't want to take that away or take shots at the fans. They were loud and proud and had fun. They had a but blackout, yeah. Joe. They they, they, uh, <laughs> they had a blackout in the stadium, and the theme actually for that night or for Saturday night was it was going to be the funeral for Texas, and little oh. do we know that it was the funeral for Baylor football as oh. we know it. Yeah, that's. Uh, we got to stop or, stop organizing blackouts unless you're the better team. I'll say that right. We got to stop doing these funny theme nights if you're going to get blown out. You can't be doing that. I mean, just every team in the league, if you're going to wear like, I mean, all black's one thing, but if you're going to wear something crazy, like, like you know, West Virginia wore their 
people kind of coined it their banana costumes a little bit this weekend. I didn't think they looked that bad, but some people were very vocal about it. If you go out there and lose, you look 10 times worse because of the choice to wear that type of stuff. You got to be careful about that, Baylor fans. That was a a tough one. To show up for your own funeral wearing black, at least you had the attire right in that sense. But yeah, that was a tough look. Moving on to another game of Big 12 football, one between one of the new teams joining the league. We had K-State and UCF. Now, K-State obviously had some health concerns with Will Howard and a couple of things going on in that sense, but ended up playing the entire game. I want to ask you, what are your thoughts about Kansas State versus UCF in this matchup? Well, what a matchup it was. The UCF's got their first taste of a Big 12 football in Manhattan, Kansas. What a better what better place than to have that experience there. But I think for me, I think I saw a lot of positive things on both sides. I think going into the game, Will Howard was definitely banged up, and I think you kind of see that in his play. He didn't have the greatest game in the world, but when your run game worked as well as it did for Kansas State, you didn't need Will Howard to have some amazing performance. I mean, DJ Giddens, 207 yards on the ground and four touchdowns. The Wildcats ran for 281 yards on the day. And that's all you really need to do on offense. And that's, <laughs> I mean, he was the man and the star of the show on Saturday for Kansas State. And when you're running the football like that, and that that just fits into exactly what Kansas State wants to do. They controlled the game, I think, for almost 35 full minutes in this one. So the offense, I mean, kudos to them because that that's exactly what they want to do. And shout out to Colin Klein. He's doing an excellent job uh, as a play caller as well. As far as UFC, uh, UCF goes, it's clear to me that they do miss a guy like John Reese Plumley because just of his athleticism, what he brings to the table for them. Uh, you know, UCF by any means didn't look bad. I think Timmy McLean's definitely a serviceable backup quarterback. And to his credit, I thought he did a pretty good job. 14 for 24, uh, 264 passing yards, three touchdowns. Did have the one interception, which kind of hurt them there. Uh, in the game. But overall, I think you score 31 in Manhattan, Kansas. I don't think that's a bad day for the offense by any means. The problem is, as I talked about Kansas State's running game, is the defense for UCF because they could not stop the run. If you can't stop the run on the, against a team like Kansas State, you are going to lose 10 times out of 10 because that's just how it goes against a team like them. So until they, they got to fix that run game defense for sure because Baylor's coming into town next week. They're not a very good throwing team. They're probably going to try to establish a run game on UCF, so hopefully they can stop it. I mean, other than that, for UCF, I don't really have anything negative to say about them other than that run defense, but if they can kind of shore that up a little bit, I like where they're heading. and They're heading in the right direction for me, even though they lost this game. It's it's a tough road, but I definitely think they're a team that can compete in the Big 12 at a high level. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'll start with UCF here before jumping into K-State. I, was, I liked what I saw out of UCF. I know that it wasn't a situation where you have your starting quarterback, and yes, they did miss Plumlee in that game. I mean, I think you saw it. The one big momentum swing. I mean, they were in that game with a chance to go take the lead to start the second half. I mean, it was a one-possession game for a chunk of the game, even though K-State kind of ran with it late. I think what you saw, I mean, you saw Timmy McLean go back and take a 17- or 18-yard sack instead of tossing the ball out of bounds and just rolling with it. <clears throat> That game swung the momentum completely and gave K-State's defense a little bit of confidence to get back into it. That's a play exactly that to a T where you miss John Reese Plumlee. I mean, that's a big game for sure. However, I mean, they had got some really good players on that team. And I don't want to just dunk on McLean because he did have a good outing. I mean, you passed for, you know, 300 yards. He played really well against the Big 12 reigning champion. So that's always a good day in that sense. But I don't know. I mean, I don't feel as worried about this team as I do a team like Houston or another team that's coming in trying to figure things out. 
it feels like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say they can't win certain games this year because of X, Y, Z reason. UCF feels equipped to handle the Big 12, and I'm excited to see that. I can't wait to see some of their home games at at their own stadium in Orlando. Can't wait to see that. But at K-State, K-State did an interesting thing in this game. We talked about it last week on the podcast. Not having Will Howard, we both kind of drew this up as question marks. We both had confidence in Avery Johnson, but we didn't fully know what we're going to see. The thing that I've noticed with K-State, their offensive line, as good as it's been this past season winning a Big 12 title, they had struggled. And I know they were without their right tackle, uh, Christian Duffy in this game for, or not in this game, excuse me, but in the past three games he's been out, getting him back was huge. The offensive line completely turned a new leaf, looked good, looked dominant, and I don't know if that says more about K-State per se or about UCF, but just having that and not getting Will Howard more beat up, that's the biggest win from this game. Not getting your quarterback more beat up. They've got a bye week next week that's at a good time, even though it's this early in the season. You got to play a chunk of games in a row. That was a good sign to see. I think K-State did not only what was expected, but they handled the task, and Will Howard looked better than advertised, I would say, health-wise, and that was that was a good thing to see. You know, DJ Giddens, absolute stud, absolute monster. That guy's going to be a really good guy to follow up there with some of the best in the league. I think it's interesting considering a guy like Devin Neal at Kansas. Obviously, I'm not going to make some comparison immediately, but there's a lot of good running backs in the state of Kansas right now. It's interesting to see from both squads. But I do want to move on here, speaking of another game where you had a team from Kansas and another one of the new four additions. We had Kansas taking on BYU in Lawrence. This was a tight contest. I mean, this was a close game down the stretch. Derek, what do you think about the BYU Cougars taking on the Kansas Jayhawks? Much like the game we just talked about with UCF and Kansas State, I think the run game was the key factor here between these two teams. Kansas State, or excuse me, Kansas running for 221 yards, led by Devin Neal with 91 on the ground. So for me, that was a huge part of this game. On the flip side, so you have Kansas here with over 200 rushing yards. You have BYU. You want to guess, Joe, do you want to take a guess how many rushing yards they had on the day? I mean, they haven't been great, but I mean, probably 70, maybe? 70, 75? Try 22 carries for nine yards. Oh! (laughs) They averaged 0.4 yards per carry. That might be the worst (laughs) stat line I've ever seen in a Big 12 game. That's Yikes. that, That is beyond bad, but for me, that was... That was the really big difference in this game, just how Kansas was able to run the football on BYU. I was a little bit shocked at that because previously, really before the Arkansas game, I thought BYU's defense really had some had some really good players on it. I felt like they were equipped to stop the run. And like the last like two weeks against Arkansas and now here against Kansas, they've really struggled defensively. And I'm not really sure what to make of this team yet on defense, but they definitely have to get better. And for Kansas, I mean, this is great because you had Jalen Daniels who did, he threw for 130 yards, but he was super efficient throwing for three touchdowns. He went 14 for 19. So he was really careful with the football. But I mean, when they ran for over 200 yards at home, I mean, that, that is a huge deal for that offense. And they scored 38 points as well. And I got to start off. I mean, Kansas started the game off with a welcome to the Big 12 hit by Kobe Bryant, who hit, I can't remember who he hit, but the corner, he just went out hit somebody on the jet sweep, recovered the fumble. It was one of the hardest hits you're going to see all year long. So if you haven't seen that video, be sure to check that out online. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, to me, kind of really put the stamp on this game to say, hey, Kansas is for real, and they are for real. They're now 4-0 for the second straight year under Lance Leopold. As far as BYU goes, they couldn't run the football, as I just mentioned earlier. They couldn't stop the run. That's already enough for a recipe to, for a disaster. And on top of that, they lost the turnover battle 3-0. to So... 
you, you turn the football over, you can't stop the run, and you can't run the football, and, oh, you're playing on the road. All things you cannot do to win a foot, you know, if you're going to win a football game, and they did the things that you can't do. So for me, that was kind of just my my key thing here for BYU. Hopefully they can kind of bounce back. I didn't think Keaton Slovis was terrible, but he certainly didn't have his best game out there. But, you know, I think it's time now. Uh, you know, we talked about BYU as a feel-good story after they beat Arkansas, but now you're sitting here with Kansas at 4-0, and they're going to play Texas next week. I think this Kansas team's real, and I think more and more people should be talking about this team. I agree for sure. I mean, I think like BYU, this was a welcome to the Big 12 moment. It's just, I don't know if they expected it to come from Kansas. I think that's probably the takeaway I had from this. Kansas is good. I mean, they are legit. And I know that there's a lot of, you know, the older folks that watch the league that will never be able to say that just based off the previous, you know, chunk of time we've seen with Kansas football program. Lance Leipold has changed the culture in Lawrence. I mean, that's a different program than say five years ago. This is a legit team. I loved seeing the fact that Jalen Daniels didn't go out there and get hurt or have some issues, you know, scrambling, doing anything along those lines. The offensive line looked good. They kept him upright. He didn't really need to be special. He didn't need to be the Big 12 player of the year in this sense of the offensive player of the year in the preseason polls, that is. He didn't need to be that guy to get the win. And that's nothing against him. It's just that it's great to see the fact that Kansas is leveling up on multiple areas. I mean, that defense was intense. Yes, Keaton Slovis threw the ball for... 350 yards. He came away with two picks that were both not great. You know, in all honesty, that's just the only way I can think to describe it. Wasn't a great outing. I mean, BYU kept it to a one-score game, which was cool, but they're going to need a get-right game. They're going to need a get-right game. I don't know much about BYU beyond the fact, like, I mean, we've watched them all year, but it doesn't get to the point where you know much about this team yet. Yes, you saw some fight. You saw some things. That running game is atrocious. I mean, LJ Martin, true freshman running back, they just never gave him an opportunity to get the ball in space. You know, it's just kind of go up the gut. If you're going to go outside, I mean, it's just Kansas' defensive ends crashing consistently. And this has been an area of focus for the first three weeks of the season as well against non-conference schools. If you're going to be successful in the Big 12, you have to at least be able to run the football a little bit. That would be my biggest takeaway. But I was excited to see. I mean, Kansas, that defense did something that I haven't seen in a long time from a Kansas defense. I mean, that was legit. That secondary is for real. I mean, they're a top unit in the Big 12. And I don't think Texas, I mean, I doubt that anybody's really sitting there sleeping on Kansas if you're in Texas' shoes. Like, you're not looking at that as a, ah, it's an easy game. We're playing Baylor again. It's not that equivalent in this sense. They can't. They lost to him two years ago. That's true. Exactly. In Austin, too. I mean, that's that's a situation where Jalen Daniels went out there and played, you know, his tail off. That's a real situation. You nailed it. And that's this is a better team than it was then. I mean, you've got guys all over the field that are capable I would worry immediately. I mean, any defensive coordinator in the country should worry about Devin Neal and Jalen Daniels. That is just a a nasty combination of dudes lining up next to each other. I don't want to see that ever in my life, I would say, if I'm a defensive coordinator. But moving on here, we've got another game to talk about. And yes, two starting quarterbacks, not in this game. I mean, one of them obviously started off in this game. We'll talk about some injury stuff going on. Texas Tech, West Virginia. You see Tyler Shuck go out there. He went down with a bad injury. I didn't catch it in real time. I had to go watch it on Twitter. Didn't look great. Obviously, carted off on the field. Tough situation. Derek, what did you take away from the Texas Tech-West Virginia game? I think that injury was a pretty big deal. Uh, for Texas Tech, Tyler Shuck going down show going down in the first quarter. Um, I saw the I saw when it kind of happened, and then he was – he actually, believe it or not, he played a snap after that. We actually threw the football. There's a picture out there where you can see the bone sticking out of his oh, leg um, where he's actually throwing a pass. So, you know, 
you talk about toughness of some of these football players, and that's probably one of the toughest things uh, I've ever seen from a football player, from a co- college football player, because mm-hmm. that just – words can't even describe how what he's probably going through and how much pain he was feeling in that moment. And for him to throw a pass on that, that's that that's insane. So, uh, you know, he ended up going down um, as well, you know, and they had to bring the cart out and just a tough scene because, you know, when, I, when you're watching a game like that, everything kind of just halts. And at that point, you know, you kind of forget about the game and you're really just worried about, you know, the player safety and making sure he's okay. And they carted him off the field, Joey McGuire, you know, his team said a few things. Joey McGuire said a few things to him as well. And then he gave the guns up um, to let everybody know he was okay. But uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be a very speedy recovery for him from uh, the reports we've seen. And for Texas Tech, you know, they really, I'm not sure if they were really able to bounce kind of back from that because that's, it's an emotional thing when your starting quarterback goes down and you have high expectations coming into the season. Um, Baron Morton tried to do his best here, but 13 for 37. He did throw a touchdown, but uh, the offensively, the Red Raiders couldn't get anything going. I mean, they had no consistency on offense, and it's hard to hard to really blame them when your backup has to step in uh, in, in the first quarter and then in the weather conditions that they had to deal with. And Texas Tech's team that likes to air it out and throw the football around, so – Really kind of just didn't work for them, unfortunately. Um, We'll kind of get to them in a little bit later here as well. But for West Virginia on their side of things, this was a monumental win uh, for Neil Brown um, as a head coach for them because we talked about him before the season being on the hot seat. Now he's sitting at 3-1 after four games. That was huge. Obviously, Garrett Green uh, wasn't able to go, so Nico Marischal got the start. Didn't have to do much. He, He kind of struggled throwing two interceptions, only threw for 78 yards. But they controlled the game on the ground. They rushed for 157 yards, averaged over three and a half yards a carry. Uh, I think I'd have to go back here and look to see. I think they held the football for looks 34 minutes and 50 seconds. So that is a huge, huge deal for them. And I'll say this about West Virginia, and I, I tweeted it out after the game or maybe during the game. But if you can picture a West Virginia team right now, just the, what, the way they play, they like to control the football. They're like that. They're almost like Kansas State in a sense because they don't throw the ball particularly well. They love to control the game and use their offensive line, their veteran offensive line. They have a good running back in C.J. Donaldson. So all these kind of things that they really want to control the game and play great defense, I mean, that is a page right out of the Kansas State playbook in my eyes. So that really worked for them. And then when you add that kind of wet, nasty weather in that mix, I think that is just a perfect – I mean, you couldn't ask for better weather if you're West Virginia's football team because that it fits everything that they want to do. And if they're going to win, it's going to have it's going to be ugly wins for this team. But after the game, what Neil Brown said, talking about beating Texas Tech, and that is a championship caliber program where they were picked. And he also mentioned his team being picked dead last at Big 12 Media Days. So you can definitely tell that the motivation was there. And I said last week after the pit game that you know that was maybe the biggest win for Neil Brown. I think this one's definitely top five for them because they kind of have some momentum now. That And this is definitely a team that not a lot of people are going to be talking about and taking seriously. But I think West Virginia, especially at home, very dangerous team to be playing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you can see the culture, I feel like, is the different thing. Like, Neil Brown caught a lot of strays this offseason, and obviously deservedly so to an extent. But this is a huge win. I mean, you coached yourself, you know, you won yourself into another year of coaching. Like, there is still time. Things could change. Situations change, whatever the case is. But this is a huge win against the team that really everybody considered as the dark horse in the Big 12. Obviously, now that's shifting a little bit. But this was a great win. 
And, you know, you can say injuries definitely impacted that and different things impacted that, but credit to Neil Brown's squad. I mean, they go out there and they play for their coach. They play together. They play physical, and that's the biggest thing. I mean, you mentioned it. This team, like, rainy and wet weather and kind of the gross, gloomy skies, that is this team. You know, that's the identity of this team. There are guys that are just going to out-physical you. They're going to out-toughness you. That's the way this team wants to compete, and that's how they win games. I mean, you know, you think to an extent, and I know that I've been guilty of this at times, where you almost want to say, all right, Joe, Joey McGuire's got this figured out. The energy's there. They're getting five-star recruits. Obviously, you saw Micah Hudson commit semi-recently. Uh, you see a lot of great things happening around Texas Tech, and it's easy to buy into that hype. That was a game where Neil Brown said, okay, you still got to go through us. We still have every single game in Big 12 play to play. And I don't know what that looks like. I mean, obviously, Baron Morton, I think, has had some success, and I know he's a younger quarterback, but it doesn't mean to say that they're not a good squad or XYZ happens, so this is going to ruin the whole season. But Texas Tech has some questions that they have to answer. Absolutely. Absolutely has to answer. That would be my biggest takeaway is that we don't know much about Texas Tech. All I know is that we they're one they're zero and one at the moment. They've got to turn that. That's got to change. That's Will not gonna, happen. It's not going to get any easier either, especially now that their backup uh, Baron Morton's going to be playing. So it, yeah. it's definitely a long road ahead. And this was a team we, me and you both talked about and agreed upon that was a dark horse Big Twelve title contender. And I don't know how we could really say that and sit here now today and be like, yeah, I still agree with that. But mm-hmm. a lot of things have definitely changed for this team. That's a great way to say it. Now, moving on here, we've got two games or a game that everybody kind of unanimously thought would slam the under, even if the under were set at 10 points. Iowa State, Oklahoma State. We saw one quarterback for Mike Gundy, which is a massive change. They announced <laughs> maybe an hour or two before pregame that the three-man rotation would end and they'd be sticking with Alan Bowman. What do you think of the performance, Derek? Well, coming into this game, when I had the pleasure of getting to cover this game, uh, when I talked to Pete about it, and I – my eyes, I don't even know. I think they went in the back of my head at first, and then I thought <laughs> to myself that this is going to be maybe one of the worst Big 12 football games that I can remember going into it. Not, of course, not what happened after. Uh, I had the hot sauce ready to pour in my eyes just in case, <laughs> but luckily I didn't have to do it. I mean, this game, I believe, it was set at like 36, I believe, was the over-under in this game, and these two hit teams hit it by halftime. I don't think anybody in the world uh, had that bet going on. But uh, in all seriousness, I thought Iowa State did a fantastic job. They finally, it seemed like they really opened up the playbook. Uh, so credit to Nate Schillhouse, their offensive coordinator. Um, Iowa State understood that they cannot run the football. And after they rushed for 74 yards on 34 carries, I think that's definitely still the case. The difference for Iowa State's offense is that they were able to use the short passing game to kind of make up for the lack of their run game, and that did wonders for this offense. They were able to move the football. They're throwing on first down, which is not something you typically see with this team. Jalen Noel had a big day, 146 yards and a touchdown. Daniel Jackson almost had 100 yards as well. So then you have Rocco Beck kind of slinging it back there. Really efficient, three touchdowns, zero picks, 348 yards, both career highs for him. So this was a huge day for Iowa State's offense, and I really hope that this is just a a preview of what we can see moving forward with this offense because I said before in our previous podcast that this team, this offense for Iowa State does not lack playmakers. They have to execute better, and they also have to just help out the quarterback more, and I think you're starting to see that with the short passing game. It's really helping out this offense. It's keeping the defense on their toes. So uh, that was really cool to see from them. Uh, as far as Oklahoma State, I think much like UCF and a loss, you can still take away some positive things. So I'm not going to sit here and crap all over Oklahoma State. 
Uh, I applaud Mike Gundy for finally settling on one quarterback, and we've both been asking him for weeks to do because the three-man rotation, it just with the timing with your receivers and everything, the offensive line, cadences, whatever it may be, you cannot just keep playing three quarterbacks and expect everything to be okay. So I was really surprised to see Alan Bowman named the starter for this one, especially when, you know, I think three days prior, four days earlier, Mike Gundy was talking about using all three in this game. So for them to stick with Alan Bowman was definitely a bold move. And did it pay off? I really can't say it if it did or didn't yet because I don't think Alan Bowman looked that great. He didn't throw the football very well. He wasn't accurate. He turned the ball over some. Uh, Oklahoma State had their moments. They had a big run by Ollie Gordon, which finally they gave him 18 carries for <laughs> he ran for a buck 21. So that was really cool to see and had that long run of over 70 yards. But other than that, I thought the offense was okay for them. Defensively, I would have more concerns with Oklahoma State, you know, especially in the secondary because they were just getting torched all game long. So for me, Oklahoma State's defense is still a big question mark. I think quarterback still a question mark. And much like Iowa State, I feel like this team has playmakers on offense. I'm not sure if Casey Dunn, the offensive coordinator, and the offensive staff quite know how to use the weapons. But I'll say this if they can kind of, if they're going to stick with Alan Bowman, I think only better things can happen from here on out because at least they're sticking with one guy. You know, whether Alan Bowman deserves to be the starter or not for the rest of the year remains to be seen. But I still think it's at least they stuck with one guy. Yeah, I agree. I mean, just seeing one quarterback was a nice change of pace. It let the offensive line get a little bit more synced up and the playmakers as well. Let me just say this. Oklahoma State is going to need to play a specific game of football to win these games. And not to say that Iowa State is some bad team or anything crazy. I mean, they've already exceeded my expectations, I would say. Um, exceeded my expectations. I think uh, their team as a whole, the defense is lights out. I mean, that's a really, really good defense. Alan Bowman was not the guy I expected Gundy to go with in the quarterback battle. And I'm not necessarily criticizing him. I mean, it worked out okay-ish, I would say, in this game. But I didn't think either of these teams were capable of winning this game. I thought we'd be sitting here with a 0-0 tie. So that is my biggest takeaway on that front. But I think the good things to talk about, actually, I mean, Oklahoma State, if you want to win football games, give the ball to Ollie Gordon, and you've got to get more physical on defense. You know, there's going to be things you can have in moments in the playmaking game where you get a guy like Brennan Presley to make big plays. But the team as a whole is lacking, but they've got areas where they can improve. And flip side, I mean, I mentioned this earlier with Kansas State. The bye week for them is hitting at a good time. A lot of guys injured on the roster. A lot of guys, you know, going through question marks, question mark periods. It's a good time for them to rest, recuperate, talk about it for a week or two. Oklahoma State, and I could be wrong on this. Maybe I'm the only guy that thinks this, but you almost want them to have a little bit of more, a little bit more trial by fire, just to show a couple more situations where it's okay. We got to face this defense. We got to do this a little bit more preparation rather than, you know, you get one week with a starting quarterback that you play for an entire game. And then we have two weeks off that kind of hit at a sucky time. You know, that's just kind of in my eyes, how it felt. But I think with Iowa state touching on them, I mean, that was a good win. That is a good win. No one's going to take that away from you. Quarterback play was incredible. It wasn't something that I expected by any means, but Iowa state, you win that game. You deserve to win that game. Matt Campbell. That was a huge win for you. I know it's not necessarily the best team in the big 12, but they're already kind of entering the season with a lower ceiling just based off all the gambling stuff and everything going on. That's a good win. That's something you put in the trophy case just for this season. Even if they win four games as a whole, five games as a whole, that's a good thing to move on to going forward. Next game I want to touch on here real quick. The first Big 12, non-Big 12 type game. We had SMU and TCU playing in this game. Derek, what do you think of this game? Not a whole lot to say for TCU. Uh, I think just like 
the previous week when they played down in Houston, I think their offense came to play. Uh, Chandler Morris was fantastic, threw for 261 yards and three scores. And I think the run game helped them out as well. I think TCU ran for almost 200 yards on the ground. Uh, Mon Bailey, once again, went for over 100 yards in the score. Defensively, I thought they did an excellent job against SMU. SMU's offense isn't that bad with Preston Sloan with their, with their quarterback situation. Uh, SMU's not a bad team. I, I think TCU, you know, to win by 34-17, that's a pretty damn good score in my book uh, for the Horned Frogs to win. And plus, they kept the skillet in Fort Worth. It's one of my favorite rivalry trophies in all of college football, the skillet. So, hey, uh, nothing really much to say about TCU. I would like to see them kind of keep keep the momentum going and see how good this team can be because I know a lot of people, including myself, were kind of sleeping on TCU a little bit, especially with all they, what they lost from last season and the run they had. But, you know, we're about to find out if TCU is for real or not pretty soon here. I agree. I mean, is there a major takeaway from this game? No. I mean, there's not something I'm going to sit here and say, oh, this is something you have to watch. You have to keep doing this. Have to. None of that really in this game. I think the biggest takeaway, this is a good win in the mind of the fans. I mean, all week long, I'm sure you saw it as well. All I saw on my feed was trash talk between TCU fans and SMU fans. That was all I saw. That's a culture win. That's a win you want in the fan base. Just so you can have that little notch in your mind of, okay, we got the upper leg this time. We're above them in this sense. You know, X, Y, Z reason we did this thing. That's a great thing to have. I think Chandler Morris is a pretty underrated quarterback, to be honest. There's a lot of teams in the Big 12 that could benefit from having a play, a player of his caliber, I would say. Not to say he's a top five guy, top four guy, whatever the case is, but he's a good player. I think that, you know, you mentioned it. A lot of us kind of just wrote TCU off after losing last year and not, you know, you go to the national championship that there's no way they're going to do that again because of this reason, because of this reason. It was just good to see them get a quality win against a so, you know, somewhat rival, obviously getting the skillet is back is huge, but you see the guys competing. You see the guys playing on a, on a daily basis. They've got a stellar run game and some great dudes on the offensive line. It was a good win overall. Don't have a ton of takeaways. I'm not really going to look for a specific thing based off of this win, but the other of the two non big 12, big 12 games, Sam Houston state taking on Houston. Houston obviously has had a tough run here, losing to rice in the last couple of weeks. This game you get right. You get back on the schedule. what do you think about Sam Houston and Houston? Well, I said last week that if Dana Holgerson lost to Sam Houston, that he should just resign and quit. And <laughs> I guess, I guess this kind of holds it for a week because he didn't have to do that. But no, and also, you know, Houston got did what they're supposed to do. They got a win against a really bad opponent. Sam Houston is probably has one of the worst offenses in college football. I think they remember them. They played uh, Week One against BYU and Provo, mm-hmm. and it was like a fourteen to zero game where the, their offense did absolutely nothing. Um, for, for Houston, Donovan Smith and Parker Jenkins had some pretty good games. They dominated on both sides of the ball. Um, Takeaway-wise, much like, I guess, for TCU, at least their win was over uh, a future Power 5 opponent with SMU going to the ACC. So at least that one's going to be kind of more entertaining. Uh, as far as Houston and Sam Houston, did we learn anything from this game? No, but at, at this point, Houston can just take all the wins they can. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it buys... Dana Holgerson, at least a couple more weeks down the road. I mean, this is a game that you're supposed to win. You did win. It's not a game where, like, if you lose, all hell breaks loose. Then it's time to cut ties. You know, there's certain things like that. You mentioned it. But it wasn't a game where I take away much. I mean, obviously, this is an opponent you're supposed to beat. You mentioned uh, Sam Houston State's not having a great offense. That definitely was apparent in this game. They did score first. I think they got on the board first before Houston in this game. That was a kind of an interesting fluke for a second. I had the doubts of, okay, well, this is not a great sign, but... Houston ended up taking the win, I mean, in pretty blowout fashion. It's what you were expected to do. That's kind of the main thing on that front. Derek, overall thoughts on the weekend. What'd you like? What didn't you like? What'd you have to take away? 
Well, thankfully, Big 12 play is here. Uh, it's kind of what we've all been waiting for. I know technically it started last weekend or last weekend with TCU and Houston, but I don't really count that game too much because I think once everybody starts playing one another, that's kind of when it starts for me. So happy that conference play is here. Uh, all four teams got a new. T- uh, all four teams got a taste of the Big 12 for UCF, uh, Houston, Cincinnati, and BYU. So that was really fun to see uh, for them already. So. Other than that, I mean, still a long way to go in the season. We're going to start seeing some of these teams kind of take shape and see the pass that they're going to be on for the rest of the year. Uh, I guess if I had an overall take right now, I would say that Texas looks really good. Obviously, I don't think that probably needs to be said, but I think that there's a gap right now between Texas and maybe Oklahoma and then maybe a small gap from Oklahoma and everybody else. I think that's kind of what we're starting to see after week one. Obviously, a lot can change in a short amount of time here, but I think there's kind of a clear gap for Texas uh, from the rest of the pack here. I definitely agree. I mean, I think you said it exactly, took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say something similar where, you know, Texas is kind of, I would say, leaps and bounds ahead of everybody else. And everybody else is pretty dang close. Oklahoma, if I had to pick a second team to compete with Texas, it'd be Oklahoma. But there's a lot of things we're going to figure out in the next couple of weeks. I'm just excited to see the environments. I'm excited to see the fans. It was good to get Big 12 football back, and it felt like, like I didn't walk away from this weekend the same way I felt after week three of the non-conference schedule, which is a, you know, that's a positive sign for sure. But we do want to take a look ahead, looking at week five. We got some great matchups. It's some of the best matchups of the 2023 season. Obviously, you can take that how you will, but there's some great games going on, and we want to run through and do some picks for each game in this. And we'll start off, I guess I should run through the, the spread here before we get into it. I'll run you through the list here. We don't have an Oklahoma State game. We don't have a Kansas State game with those on a bye week. But the first game of the weekend coming up here, we've got Cincinnati at BYU. BYU favored by two in that matchup. Baylor at UCF. That's at the bounce house. Or excuse me, at the bounce house. UCF favored by nine in that matchup. Iowa State at Oklahoma in Norman. 18-point favorites, Oklahoma in that game. Houston at Texas Tech. Texas Tech favored by seven. Kansas at Texas. Texas favored by 16. That game is in Austin. And West Virginia at TCU, TCU minus 13 in that game. Derek, let's start off here and we'll kind of give our picks as to which game we like. But starting off here, let's go with BYU and Cincinnati. And let me get your pick for the weekend. Oh, man, that some of these lines are like really, really bad. And some of these lines are really close. And I think that's one of those fringe fringe ones for me. It's Friday night, Provo. Give me BYU to cover that two point spread against Cincinnati. I don't trust Cincinnati's offense right now. Yeah, I mean, I think I think. You said it. I mean, the fact that the game's at BYU is vastly different than if it's at Cincinnati. You know, if this game's at Nippert Stadium, I roll Cincinnati. Not to just jump on your back here, but I'm going to go BYU minus two in that game as well. Starting off here, we got BY, or excuse me, Baylor at UCF minus nine. Here's the thing. We still don't expect to see John Rice Plumlee in this game. UCF was a good enough team to beat Kansas State last week. <clears throat> Baylor, I don't think, was a good enough team to beat many teams in the league, if not the country last week. That's kind of what we saw. I know a nine-point spread isn't what everybody loves, but in college football, that's you know that's two possessions real quick. I like UCF in this game. Give me UCF minus nine. What about you? Going the opposite. I'm going to take Baylor to cover that nine-point spread. I think All it's right. going to be a little bit closer than what people think it is. Um, UCF, I do. I think UCF is going to win this game. I don't see them winning by an almost ten points here. I think it's going to be a touchdown game in favor of UCF. I think Baylor. You know, if there was ever a week for Baylor to wake up and literally bounce back and try to turn this ship around where it needs to get going, this has to be the week. And if it's not, uh, I think you can almost peg Baylor to be one of the worst teams in the Big 12. But I think Baylor covers in this one. 
All right. I like that pick. We've got Iowa State at Oklahoma. Oklahoma favored by 18. Derek, I'll let you start off here. Man, they're just they want me to take Oklahoma very badly. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I'm gonna take Iowa State here. Um I like the way they've been I like the way Iowa State what they showed me last week against Oklahoma State and especially through the passing game. Oklahoma, I you know, they are playing at home, but I don't know if I can trust them to beat Iowa State by 18 here. I, I think I'm going to take Iowa State to cover here. I will say this, and I hate to be lame and just agree with you for all these picks, but 18 points is a lot. And I know that Oklahoma's offense has been solid, but they put up 20 against Cincinnati. Cincinnati had a good day, but they were missing multiple players in their secondary. Iowa State's got a much better defense. Obviously, their offense, prob- well, maybe not obviously, but won't be on the field a ton in this game. I think there's going to be some really str- some struggles against Oklahoma's defense. 18 points is a ton to cover. I don't see this game get into that point. I think Iowa State stays within 14. I mean, even 17, you still don't, you're still not out of the woods in that front. I'll take Iowa State plus 18 as well. Houston at Texas Tech, Texas Tech minus seven. This is interesting. Houston has not looked good, you know, to this point. They've had games against bad opponents where they've looked better, but they haven't ever really looked like a great team. I mean, the UTSA win was great, but I just don't think there's much magic left for Houston. Even though Texas Tech is rolling with their backup quarterback, they've had a tough start. They're one and three right now outside of non-conference play, or excuse me, 0 and one non-conference play, one and three overall. I don't expect Joey McGuire's squad to walk in there and just kind of limp to limp to the finish line. You know, you have a full week to prepare with a backup quarterback. Baron Morton is your starter. No, it's not the best situation. It's not ideal. I will take Texas Tech minus seven. Derek, what about you? Agree 100%. Especially after a loss, I think Joey McGuire is going to have his team fired up. They're playing in Lubbock. I, and as I mentioned many times on the podcast, I just don't trust this Houston team. I'm taking Texas Tech in the points here, minus seven. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet, especially with just teams we're not entirely sure about at the moment. I think taking the points is not a bad bet. Touch them with this one. I'll give it to you first. Texas minus 16. Kansas is on the road in Austin. Much like the Oklahoma spread when they were favored by minus 18. I think the spread's way too high. I think Texas is obviously a good team. I have, Texas is going to win this game. They're a great football team. Kansas is also a really good football team, and I don't think they're going to get blown out here. I'm going to take Kansas to cover the 16. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the right play. I mean, it's just once again, I don't see this being. I mean, if it's a multiple score game, sure, you're still not out of the woods. You know, it could be a two touchdown game, and Kansas can still cover. I like Kansas and Lance Leipold, especially when you have confidence after recently winning on the road in Austin two years ago. I don't expect it to be that far off. I like Kansas in that game. Last game of the slate, we've got TCU minus 13. That game's in Fort Worth. West Virginia coming to town. What do you think? Or excuse me, I I guess I should go first in this case. I apologize. I forgot how counting works and how (laughs) order works, so I'm going to jump in. I actually, even though it's a big spread, I know I just said all of that, I will take TCU minus 13. I will. I think going on the road, still technically don't know which quarterback's going to be out there. It could be Garrett Green. Obviously could not be, but I think I'm going to roll. With Texas Tech, or excuse me, TCU, I'm just going to roll the dice. That's how I feel about this game. I think their team is good enough. Their offensive line is good enough. But it could also end up being, you know what, a seven-point game, a three-point game. It wouldn't be the most surprising thing, but I'm going to roll with TCU in this game. Damn you, Joe, because that is exactly the one I was taking. Let's go. I'm taking TCU to cover that one. Uh, If this was in Morgantown, I might feel a little bit differently about this. But I really like the way uh, TCU's offense has been playing, and I think I agree with you. Chandler Morris is an underrated quarterback in this conference, and I think TCU is going to get on a roll here pretty soon, so I'm going to take the Frogs. 
Let's go. I'm glad I went first in that one. So <laughs> moving on here, let me ask you this. Of those picks, obviously we talked about it. There's some you know sketchy lines, and there's also a couple of okay lines. Is there any game you look at this week and say, this is my lock? Actually, you know what? I'm just going to ask you, is there a lock this week that you're going to give us on the podcast here? Which of these games do you like? I guess if I had to say a lock here, I'm going to take Texas Tech minus seven against uh, to cover the seven points against Houston. Like I said before, I just don't trust this Houston team, especially now they're going to play their first conference, Big 12 conference game on the road. Uh, I'm taking Texas Tech, and I really like them in this game. Uh, maybe Iowa State I think is kind of an interesting play as well. Uh, maybe even BYU, but I think if I had to pick one, Texas Tech's my team to roll with. All right, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to do it. This is my lock of the week. Not only give me Kansas plus 16. <laughs> I hate that I'm about to say this. Give me Kansas money line against Texas. That sounds wow. stupid to say out loud, and it is stupid to say out loud, but I'm going to do it, and if it doesn't work out, we'll come back and I'll get roasted for it. <laughs> I don't hate the matchup. I don't. Texas has been tested. You can't say they haven't been. Obviously, Alabama not the same team, but it is still Alabama. I mean, there's dogs everywhere on the team. I think Lance Leipold's squad is different this year. Obviously, we talked about Texas Tech being the dark horse. Kansas is the dark horse in the Big 12, in my mind. If they can keep things going, this is a big game. You can't get around this game. I like Kansas. I'm going to take a money line in this game. If that works out horrible, I apologize. This is not financial advice. That's a bold move. And I'll say that Texas, I mean, their defense is for real. They're by far the best defense Kansas has seen and going to see all year. Um, I agree. And especially that one playing at Austin. I I don't know. I think, obviously, like I said, Texas is going to win this game, but I, uh, I, I don't know if I can go that far, Joe. Yeah, I, I kind of push myself to the edge there, but I'm doing it. And it's not because Texas is bad. I want to I want to get this out here now. There's a lot of that take where it's like, oh, the, you know, the team's leaving for the SEC. We hate them. We're not going to talk about them. I'm not going to give that vibe off here. I just think Kansas has a different energy about them. Do I think that they're going to destroy Texas or make some 55-53 like it was the other a couple of years ago, whatever that score was? I don't think it's going to be that. But what I do know is, I mean, from the games that they've played, they Texas hasn't faced a quarterback like Jalen Daniels yet. Jalen Milrow, I guess you could say, at Alabama is similar, but not in the same vein by any means. I think that Daniels and Devin Neal are going to be a problem. I fully expect this to be a lower scoring game than most people expect, but give me Kansas money line. I'm just going to go to the bold. I'm going to go bold factor and we'll see how it works out. If it works out terrible, I apologize, but that's what we're going to do this week. So moving on here, Derek, last thing, it is our last call. Do you have anything you want to say in regards to our fans and to anybody listening? What are your thoughts to wrap up here? No, I'm uh, just excited to, to have everybody uh, enjoy another week of big 12 football. As I mentioned earlier, opening weekend, always fun. Uh, we're going to have Matthew Postens uh, from Heartland College Sports, one of our colleagues. He's going to be at the BYU-Cincinnati game on Friday night in Provo. That's going to be fun. And believe it or not, I am actually going to be on vacation next week. Uh, I'm heading to Orlando on Friday. I'm going to be inside the bounce house. Uh, Let's go. Not, a, not as a member of the media, so I'm going to go as a fan. I have not sat in the stands of a college football game since 2000 <laughs> and. 14 it's been almost 10 years since I sat uh, in the stands for a college football game. So I figured what better way to break that streak uh, than to go to this game uh, with where UCF's hosting Baylor for their conference home opener. So, you know, Derek, I'm pretty sure 2014 was when microwaves were invented was the last time I checked. So you're getting your miles on you <laughs> for sure. For sure. But so Derek will be bouncing next week and we'll definitely talk to him all about that. That's going to be an awesome experience. And you'll have to report back. But guys, we appreciate you listening. Excited for another week of Big 12 football. 
Once again, if you're interested in subscribing to the show, we appreciate it. Leave a rating and review, whether you're a Spotify guy, Apple Music guy, or wherever you're at for podcasts. It helps us out immensely, and we appreciate it. Once again, this is the Heartland After Dark podcast. My name is Joe. That's Derek. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you in the next one.